Hey, off-airers. Welcome to your weekly news and pop culture podcast, where two media guys, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart the top three stories of the week. If you want to get more involved in our stories, we've got a Facebook group. It is called Off Air Podcast Community. Search it in Facebook. We love hearing your thoughts on all of the stories. This is what we've got coming up today. Tom Cruise's recorded tirade that has literally hit the internet within the last hour. Canberra could be decriminalising all drugs. And are we breaking up with China? It looks like it could be happening. Let's get into it. It's off air. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. Hello, Tim Rubin. How are you this week? I'm good. Uh, I'm excited. This is, we've just decided, going to be our last episode for 2020. I know. A little two-week break. Yeah, well, no one wants to hear from us right before Christmas or before New Year's, so why not give ourselves a holiday? As you said, Tim, we've absolutely earned it this year. Just bloody flat out, mate, talking for half an hour every week. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing for Christmas? Where are you going to be? I'm hosting. It's actually my first year hosting Christmas at my house with my family. They're all coming up. Uh, my parents' dog, Max Power, a 45-kilo black Labrador is coming up. So oh, he'll great. be able to tear up the house and eat some shit and do all that type of stuff. And, yeah, going to have turkey on Christmas Eve. And then every Boxing Day, I have a tradition with about 10 friends of mine called Basketball Christmas, uh, where we all get together and watch five NBA games in a row, which over in the US are played on Christmas Day. So... It's going to be fun. How about you? That sounds so awesome. That sounds absolutely <laughs> great. Um, I'm this weekend, actually, Ellie and I are jumping in the car and driving to Sydney to see my family. And this is going to be the first time she meets my family. Oh, so no. It's, yeah. It's, wait, well, not oh, no. It's going to be great. It's very exciting. Mm, but uh... <laughs> How do you think it's going to go? Do you, do you think they'll play nice? I think I think everybody's going to get along really well. She's met my mum already, and they've okay. got along like a house on fire. Yeah. Um, and she'll meet one of my sisters, my grandma, my dad. Um, mm. Yeah, it's going to be lovely. And my my family now uh, rent a place right on Bondi, so we're going to be right at the beach. It's going to be great. It's Absolutely, be really nice Christmas. Coronavirus hotspot, massive <laughs> down on the beach at Bondi with a million other backpackers all coughing over each other. <laughs> Did they end up hey. doing that wanky beach thing in Bondi? They were going to rope off a tenth of the beach and you could, a la, you know, uh, Nice in oh, France. The locals only area. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Think, I don't think they did it. No. I don't think anybody liked the idea. No, not at all. I think the local council did. But the, I, something tells me there's a lot of dodginess around nearly every local council in Australia. I don't want to sling mud, but I've lived in a few regional towns and they had some weird ties with China. but there's also a really strange thing that every beach culture has that's like this is our beach like there's no if the Parramatta council isn't like only locals can go to the Parramatta Westfield Mm. what if you run a public area you know the same for I don't know the Wallara council and Centennial Park or wherever you are in the country no other place has a locals-only roped-off zone. And for some reason, beachy areas like to get all hoity-toity with it. Well, I don't growing, think it's going to be happening. Growing up a surfer, I can say that it's because you townies come into our area, you leave your rubbish, you cut us off out in the waves. And so just like in Point Break, sometimes we need to pull out a flick knife, cut off your leg rope, <laughs> and send you off into the shallows, you fucking townies. Get out of here. Yeah. 
<laughs> it, gi- hey, it gives the locals something to do. They get to they get to show off once a year, punch some people in the head, and feel good about themselves. <laughs> I don't know if it's a once a year thing. You got to remember, I grew up in Maroubra, which is the land of oh, the Bra yeah. Boys. Absolutely. So it's twenty four seven where I grew up. Hey, before we get into the stories this week, you, you're shitting on um, on the townies. Mm. I just want to throw something back at Queensland quickly. There have been how how many vaccines have been worked on around the world? Hundreds. Uh, the if Queensland not thousands. Thousands. Yes. Mate, how is it that the Queensland one is the only one where they accidentally put HIV in it? <laughs> no, they just, they just, all that happened is uh, we had a few tests where people tested positive for HIV. I, okay, full disclosure as well with that UQ vaccine. And UQ is a fantastic university. It's what uh, up here we call, do you guys have sandstone unis in Sydney? It's, we call our old universities sandstone unis because I think they're Sydney built. Sydney uni is that, yeah. I yeah. don't know about amongst Victoria, but whatever yeah. they are. But anyway, a, a lady I know signed up for the trial, and she is uh, early fifties. I'm going to say early fifties. I don't know her exact mm-hmm. age. She went through the trial twice, and both times they said she was pregnant, so she couldn't continue. <laughs> Is she pregnant? No, no, no. She's in her early fifties. She's definitely not pregnant. She's she's heading How towards grandchildren. So, some people are showing up pregnant. Some people showing up full blown AIDS. <laughs> this is what happens when you task Queensland with doing anything around December. It's like, nah, mate, we've knocked off. We're on holidays. Whatever. What you didn't? Okay, look, it cures coronavirus. Yes, you get AIDS. You can't. You can't win them all, Tim. You've got to have one or the other. All right. Which would you prefer? The 5G's just getting in there. It's mixing everything up. It doesn't help people that don't believe in the vaccine, though. That's the problem is when you come out and say, look, it mm. might give you AIDS. Um, it's probably it also gonna... might get you pregnant. Where are they sticking this injection? <laughs> All right. It's one guy called Daryl in a paddock just west of Ipswich. <laughs> Story number one. Tom Cruise is in the news today. This has literally come up in the last couple of hours. And I'm going to start by saying this is the freaking best, okay? So he is on set uh, right now filming Mission Impossible, I don't know, Mm 700,000, whatever it is that they're Mm -hmm. up to. This is filming in the UK. And somehow he has been recorded and the audio has been leaked of him going off like ballistically at the crew. But it's an interesting story because he's yelling at them for not following COVID protocols. Ah, there you go. So the audio goes for nearly three minutes. So it's not just like a Christian Bale one-off, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? This is a full-on monologue. I think we need to have a quick listen to a snippet of it so that we can get the context. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies, producers, and they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too, and you too, and you, don't you ever f- do it again. 
shit, guys. Dad's really angry. <laughs> he sounds like it was an almost, uh, and not his famous Oprah moment, but it was almost like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. You get fired, you get fired, you get fired. The weirdest part is the little bit, I don't know if you picked it up, but the guy answers back and he goes, yes, sir, as if they're in the army or something. Well, it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> you, do you, okay, <laughs> you've just heard this. Mm. Do you Do you love it or do you hate it? What's your initial response? My initial response is that uh, I think he's really into it because aren't Scientologists notoriously anti-vax? So they don't believe, as much as possible, they don't believe in taking medication or vaccines. They like to keep their body oh. as pure as possible for the the spirits that live inside it. So maybe that's why he's so apprehensive about it. It does sound more like he's trying to... What I would say is nobody on the planet loves Hollywood more than Tom Cruise. Nobody yeah. loves movies more than Tom Cruise loves movies. And he's someone who has dedicated his entire life to trying to keep movies cool and make movies and keep movies going and keep A-list celebrities a thing. He is just quintessentially, if you were to get a cake and and take out a slice of the late 80s, early 90s, that is what Tom Cruise's entire persona is about. So it doesn't surprise me that he's he thinks he is single-handedly saving the world by keeping movies going. But it also doesn't surprise me that he's a little bit uppity and, and screams at people. Does it surprise you? Surely you've been around some actors who've blown their lids. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen actors and directors who have gone nuts 100%. But none as excitingly as Tom Cruise. <laughs> and what I think is really interesting about this is uh, he's really got a great point. So Tom Cruise, I mean, he is actually, there are very, very few movies that are shooting right now around the world. There are quite a few that are starting to come to Australia at the moment because we have such great COVID yeah. situations at the moment, touch wood. Um, but Tom Cruise is a, a producer and an owner of the entire Mission Impossible uh, franchise. Mm. So I don't know how much he's put into this movie on his own, but I was doing some digging and I found he's spent 900 thousand dollars alone on an old cruise ship so he bought a cruise ship so that the cast and crew could isolate because they're shooting in the uk but they're bringing them all over from america that seems so he's cheap that's nine hundred thousand dollars doesn't sound like a lot of money for a cruise ship are you sure it's not i mean that's a drop in the water for tom cruise that's like maybe me buying a matchbook matchbox car <laughs> for the crew just to hang around no these Mission Impossible movies only make like $100 million or $200 million oh, or something that. like that. And it, so, as if uh, that's off the initial box office. So that's 1% of the entire budget just on a boat. Oh, well, how much so, is the Tom Cruise part of the budget though? Uh, yeah, I don't would know. But, but whatever. Mil. My point is he spent, a lot of, he spent a lot of money to try and make this movie still be possible. And I think good for him because he is keeping all of these people employed. And if... Uh, somebody were to get COVID and it would have spread rampantly through that crew, boom, the movie would be gone. Yeah. And we would never see. And so, yeah, I love that he's fired up and gone into full dad mode. On a base level, though, should humans talk to any other humans like that? It happens all the time. I've witnessed it and it happens in every single industry. Someone loses their top. And I've, I've mm -hmm. probably spoken to someone that I'm trying to think back, but I definitely have spoken to people that way. Or at least behind their backs that way, which is probably <laughs> a big difference. <laughs> well, it's okay if, you, if they don't hear it. I mean, well, that's the exactly. classic 101 rule of business, am I right? <laughs>
He's a passionate dude. My weirdly, this is a weird story, but my dad actually spent about four and a half hours with Tom Cruise one day. He was, my dad was uh, working yeah, for the Ducati World Superbike team. And Tom Cruise is a massive, massive uh, fan of motorbikes. And mm-hmm. he was, there was a bike show in Sydney and they got word through that they all had to be ready uh, or they had to work late because once the bike show shut down, Tom Cruise, who was filming Mission Impossible in Sydney at the time, was going to come through and he didn't want to deal with the fanfare of all the people there. This would have been early 2000s. He was still married to Nicole Kidman. And um, because he loved Ducatis, ended up spending about three and a half, four hours speaking uh, with my dad at the Ducati stand with his little boy, uh, one of the children that he had with Nicole Kidman up on his shoulders. And dad said he oh, was... Oh, a real little boy. I thought yeah, you were yeah. describing him and his outfit or something. I thought you were going to say like <laughs> Ducati made a little version of it. Like, like a little tiny one him. with a little, little little tiny pit bike for him. It was it was the little cutest TC thing ever. on the back. <laughs> but no, dad said he was a really... Like this is before we knew knew he was completely crazy. But dad said he was like a really lovely down to earth guy, really interested in motorbikes, really interested in my dad. So I've always had respect for him from that personal level. I think he, that would have been before he was completely crazy because uh, when he was with Nicole, I think he was only just starting to get into the Scientology stuff. Yeah. He was keeping, I think it was early nineties. There's actually a great podcast uh, with Leah Remini and uh, Joe Rogan. I know I always talk about the joke, but fuck, five million people listen to it a week, all right? It's good. Uh, but if you go listen to that podcast, it's about two and a half hours long, and she talks about, because she is someone who is famous, but she grew up in Scientology, and talking about how weird it is that Tom Cruise got into it at a later age and how protected and how important mm. to Scientology he is. And he's got a crew of like 40, 40 to 50 people that, insulate him in every uh, aspect of his life and are constantly around him ensuring that he only hears good things. So it's 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 a really interesting podcast. He's a fascinating human. Weird because there's nothing he does normal. Like, there's nothing he... If, if you've got some time on YouTube, look up Tom Cruise playing sport or Tom Cruise running or Tom Cruise clapping. He's always trying to work out what humans do. He's not quite there. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to check that out. How do you <laughs> clap abnormally? He doesn't he sort know of how just, to he's, He does a bit of a... <laughs> like he's been taught. Like the he's been taught. taught him yeah, like someone has taught him how to clap. I think there's nothing other than movies going on in that guy's mind. If he was a professional yeah. athlete, we would all be admiring him. Like if he was Michael Schumacher yeah. or, um, you know, Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali, we would all be going, look at the intensity with which this right. guy attacks his industry. He does nothing else. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, I've actually checked out. I mean, he's, he's a, an interesting dude and he's definitely somebody that splits the crowd because of his relationship with Scientology. Mm. Um, and the response to his explosion has so far been like surprisingly positive. Um, Rob on Twitter wrote, I love Tom Cruise since I first saw Risky Business opening in 1983. Listening to this, I love him even more. (laughs) Randy wrote, I hate when I agree with Tom Cruise because he supports a cult that destroys families tax-free, but he's 100% right about COVID safety. hold on. We're not, no, we're not airing anyone's comments that is actually called Randy. (laughs) That that name (laughs) is not, of course Randy fucking loves Tom Cruise. Days of Thunder, Top Gun sensational cinema. How they did not win Oscars, I don't know. 
I think at the end of the at the end of the day, if the movie doesn't work out, I don't know. Maybe the American government needs to hire him. Get him in. Get him. Ye- just just let him walk around places and yell at people. That is Stay true. Stay further apart and <laughs> it, put a mask on. It is nice to see at least one American giving a fuck about the global <laughs> pandemic that's happening. You raise a very good point. <laughs> Story number two. Nick, there's been a new bill introduced um, in Canberra for 2021 that would see Canberra look at decriminalising small amounts of nearly all drugs. Now, just to be clear, this is for Canberra alone. So it's a state law, a state or territory law. It's being introduced by Michael Peterson. He's a Labor politician, and he's actually the same guy who introduced the decriminalised marijuana bill, Mm -hmm. which passed in the ACT. So that's the law that they have at the moment. Famously, uh, last January at exactly 4.20 in the afternoon. That's when the bill was introduced. That's when the, Are you serious? Yeah, that's Did they do that official, on purpose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Officially, the legislation came into play at 4.20 in the afternoon. I think wow. it was January the 21st. Don't quote me. Um, so the plan would be for small amounts of drugs like heroin, MDMA, and methamphetamines to be legal to have in your possession. But if you're caught with them, uh, they could be confiscated, and then those people would be directed towards health services mm. as compared to um, put into jail. So the first thing about this story is that, um, interestingly, it's not being publicized hugely. They're, uh, even researching this, I could only find a couple of articles about it, and it seems like a massive um, step in Australia. So before we get into what we think about the idea in general, Nick, why is this not a bigger thing in the media right now? I think mainly because there's there's bigger things in the world going on and because it is so centric to the ACT. Obviously, there's some major issues going on with China and there's still coronavirus going on and we're heading towards the end of the year. And I think that they're probably just not giving it a lot of oxygen because we don't need the outrage. We're happy being outraged about other things at the moment, so they don't need mm-hmm. to throw that on. Obviously, the, the, the marijuana stuff that happened late last year in the ACT was very uh, heavily publicised. And also because it's not going to change much dramatically. It's going to ma- what I would say is it's probably going to make life a lot easier for drug addicts, but it's not going to make a major difference to to everyday people really. That that's the biggest reason I'd say. Do you think that there's a reason that this probably isn't getting as much publicity as you'd expect? Yeah, I do. I think because it's difficult to talk about. And I remember from doing breakfast radio when things like this would pop up, there were things that you would have to be very very serious about. You'd mm. really have to try and figure out the correct angles. Um, You would have to find the right resources in order to tackle them correctly. And I think at the moment, those resources are spread, like you said, very, very thin. Mm. And so this weird thing has happened where nobody has really started to talk about it. And with these big stories, generally, there's a bit of a domino effect. So once somebody starts speaking about it, Let's say, for example, Kyle and Jackie O were to start talking about it. Then one of them would have a controversial opinion. Then the Daily Mail would do an article about that. Then Pedestrian would counter that and they would want to be the opposite. Yeah. Um, and then the ABC would do an expose on the entire thing. So <laughs> it, these things tend to have like a domino effect. And if nobody starts it, then it just doesn't get going. As uh, the research that I did, I could find maybe three articles and one of them was by the Canberra Times, yeah. which is obviously being read by all seven people who live there. So it's <laughs> really interesting that this huge momentous occasion in Australian drug culture 
is really just being swept under the rug at the moment. But I think very, very soon this story is going to explode. Well, it could be a momentous occasion. It could. I mean, ultimately, the decisions made around marijuana earlier in the year in Canberra late last year didn't really have a major effect on anything other than that, other than people that lived in Canberra. I do think it's interesting that cocaine's not on that list, given that that town is full of politicians and, and media executives, because you would think that that's the one that they'd be pushing forward the most. <laughs> but it, it's what do you think of the decriminalisation of drugs? And it's worth pointing out that if this works the same way as the cannabis rule worked, it mm-hmm. could you could potentially face federal prosecution. You could, because there are still federal laws that can counteract these. It was just, it was just always an agreement with the ACT police that they'd sort of turn a blind eye to those federal laws and instead yeah, instate the state laws. Well, you've raised a really interesting point. You actually asked me two questions there. So one of them was, what do I think about it? And yeah. I think that it's a good idea if I just boil it down to two mm. words. Um, but that's the second part of it is how would this potentially work? Um, And I think that that's a really interesting thing to try and look at because you're looking at decriminalizing things that are heavily criminalized literally kilometers away. I Mm. mean, your mind is just baffled by the idea that there would be people serving hard time in jails. And you've got to remember, like, Goulburn Jail is very close to Canberra. So literally speaking geographically, there would be people serving hard, hard times in very serious prisons when, you know, uh, down the road, there uh, there are people doing the exact same things and getting away with it scot-free. I can't imagine, and I think it's been really interesting during COVID where we've seen these states really have more power and take different tacts. Mm. I can't imagine seeing a country like Australia be so segregated. Yeah. Could you... I, d- I don't know if I fully agree with that because... When you when we're not looking next year, there's not going to be a store in Canberra. You're not going to be able to walk around Queanbeyan and all of a sudden go into a shop and buy ecstasy, because it's really all this does is mean that they don't have to. It frees up the court system. Let's face it, yep. that's the overall thing. I mean, the difference between this and with cannabis was with the cannabis rule that the whole thing was you can grow your own. You're allowed two plants per person. I think it was a maximum of six plants to a household of three. So it's a substance that comes from the earth and comes from trees. They're not saying, you know, you can set up a shop in your bathtub and start mixing up some petrol and um, pseudo and and put together some. (laughs) So really all this is saying is we no longer, if we find a bunch of people at a music festival and they've each got a pill on them, we don't have to send them through the bloody court system and clog up our courts. And instead, hopefully we can deal with some more, more pressing issues. What are mm. the, do you, do you have in front of you? And sorry, this is a question without notice, but what are the actual amounts per person that you're allowed to have on you? No, we don't. I, I don't think that those details mm. uh, have even been put together yet as far yeah. as I could find. Um, this so is it quite would be popular. very interesting. Like it, it's sorry? just like, th- I mean, this is quite popular in a lot of countries and it, and it's not dissimilar. I remember when gr- we were growing up, there was a big discussion around uh, shoot. They used to call them shooting up houses or shooting up facilities for heroin addicts in Sydney, and people were disgusted and and blown away by that. And it ended up being a really positive thing uh, because mm. it meant junkies weren't shooting up in the street and they were getting clean no- needles and there was a better healthcare being taken of drug addicts. Because I don't think you should ever fully punish drug addicts necessarily because it is an addiction just like all or everything else. If they're stealing well, the, and shit, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> the politician, so Michael, um, the, the politician who's bringing this bill forward, he was quoted saying this. He said, we've had laws of prohibition in place for about 100 years. In that 100 years, somehow 43% of Australians have used an illicit substance. That tells me that the criminal justice system isn't the deterrent that we think it is. And I think that this raises a really great point, and that is, I mean, everybody still uses drugs. So what's the point in criminalizing, in having these laws, if the laws don't do anything? Mm. All that it does is it clogs up the courts. We end up putting people in jail. And when you put people in jail, it's incredibly costly to the system. Absolutely. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars per person when somebody goes into jail, when somebody is incarcerated, and we also ruin people's lives. I mean, if we look at uh, once somebody has a criminal record, there are police checks on every single job. If you want to get a job at 7-Eleven, you have to do a police check. Yeah. So giving out, hand, dishing out criminal records to people does nothing but, I think, pull society down. And unfortunately, it's just not a, a deterrent enough to stop people doing it. So there's no reason for us to do it. Are you? Um, have you seen any documentaries or read uh, or, or listened to uh, the way that Portugal has worked? Because I think that that's an incredible example. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, they correct me if I'm wrong, but they decriminalised everything, and they have seen an uptick in the national health. They've seen a downtick mm-hmm. in uh, in the amount of crimes being committed, petty crimes especially. And, and also they've raised a bunch of money in revenue and in taxes. So it's, it's really, which is what we all say is going to happen, but it's really hard because you've got a bunch of old people and I don't want to stereotype against boomers, but you've got a bunch of old people that go, my mate took ecstasy once and then he bloody blah, 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 blah. So just be a normal person and go down the pub on a Friday, drink your 30 schooners, have your five rum and cokes, drive home and you'll be fine. <laughs> Get in a punch-up yeah. with the bouncer, lose six teeth. Yeah, You'll exactly. be right. Just be a normal bloody Aussie, not like these weirdos running around. So, yeah. It, but, but yeah, t- do you have some of the statistics around Portugal in front of you? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the basic thing is they uh, decriminalised all drugs in 2001. And between then and 2013, the addiction rate and the uh, rate of death due to drugs, dropped both of them by roughly 50%. Mm. So it was a huge uptick. And basically what they did was they changed, as a country, they changed their perspective on addiction. Mm. And there have been some really amazing studies into addiction where they found that if people are given uh, resources and community, then it can fill that hole within them and they don't actually need to fill that hole with these awful life-ruining drugs. And I I know that you and I are talking largely about like party drugs and stuff like that, but uh, talking about heroin um, and ice, I mean, these are really life-ruining and and, uh, town-ruining drugs. Mm. And so Portugal changed its perspective and they said instead of spending all of these millions of dollars every year on incarceration and courts, let's take that money and let's start using it to set up community projects and giving these people who have nothing in their lives something to get up in the morning and do each day. And they found that when they started offering these people something to do other than drugs, surprise, surprise, they wanted to do those other things. So I think that it would be really wonderful if Australia did start to have a more progressive outlook on some of these things. Um, I mean, the the data is there. It has clearly worked for them. And it's been there for some time. You're like you're since 2001. That's a that's a big bank of evidence, and even to call it the war on drugs. I mean, drugs are just an outlet, really, which is obviously what they found in Portugal. You're mm. you, you're always going to have 
problems with anxiety or loneliness and, and drugs are often just somewhere someone turns. It's just like anything else. So especially if you can regulate those and also try to bring in a bit of, a, a bit of income, then overall, I think you're 100% right. We do need to change our perspective because it's a very, very outdated one and it's not an old one. As you said, 100 years in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that long. You know, in the 1915s, we were prescribing housewives with heroin and cocaine to overcome feelings of anxiety or loneliness. So <laughs> it's, it's drugs have not been this thing forever where we've said no. And there's, you know, there's times in America where they've said no to alcohol. So right. it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird system that we live in. I mean, you make a, you make a great point. I was checking out our Facebook page, the Off Air Community Group, mm-hmm. um, and Kate wrote on there. She said, "Decriminalizing drugs makes not only sense but sense with a yeah. C." Imagine how we how much money we could make if these drugs were safer. We could tax them. Um, and she says she also read an article saying that less people would be hesitant to seek help in a medical emergency. That's also a huge problem. I know that at a lot of music festivals and things like that, there's a big problem with people taking drugs overdosing and then being too afraid to go and seek help um, and they can end up actually dying. Yeah. She went on to say, same as alcohol, we need to educate people on drugs and create systems so that we're not just throwing a whole unregulated industry to one side. Progress. Well, alcohol is still the most destructive drug. Alcohol is still the most destructive drug that exists in Australia. Three out of every four deaths on our road involve alcohol in some way. Uh, you really? know, the counts of, yeah, counts of violence, the amount of deaths due to alcoholism or alcohol related injury, uh, uh, outweigh everything else by so much. So wow. it is weird that there are some drugs that we think are fine, Panadol, paracetamol, um, you know, alcohol, caffeine. And then there's some drugs that f- for some bizarre reason, some outdated logic have become no-nos. So it'd be cool to see uh, us have a more progressive outlook on it in this country. Grace wrote as well on the Facebook page, she said, from a medicinal purpose, I'd like to see cannabis made more readily available and discussed, um, even with GPs. It's really difficult to talk to a GP and find information about medicinal uh, cannabis, even though it's been decriminalized in the ACT. It's still a bit of a taboo when you bring it up with your GP. I'm not sure where Grace lives, but I think that she raises an interesting point, which is it's been decriminalized in one place in Australia, but it's still taboo in other places. I think it'll be really interesting, like, where where's it going to happen next? Obviously, if that's the direction that some of these more progressive states and territories are, are moving, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread? Are we going to see it continue to grow, do you think? Oh, I certainly hope so. There, there was some interesting news uh, today that the Therapeutic Goods Administration announced that their uh, over-the-counter access to uh, CBD in small doses is going to come out in Australia. And CBD is basically um, cannabis, but they've taken the THC out of it, which is the THC is the stuff that gets you high. And so CBD on its own is considered a really great relaxant, great for anxiety, uh, can relieve pain. It's something I I tried when I was in um, Hawaii because it's legal in Hawaii. It's fucking awesome, man. It just puts you in a good mood. I don't know how else to say. You're not lazy or or laid down. So, I mean, that's some great news. I think it's slowly trickling. It's hard because deep down Australia is a fairly conservative country. We're a fairly conservative (laughs) and compliant people in general. So... It will be it will be interesting to see, but yeah, I I mean I'm on Grace's side. I certainly hope that we see more and more of an uptick, 
and instead of just having a closed perspective on things, being able to have an open conversation, especially in a country where alcohol is such a cornerstone of our culture. Story number three. China is banning Australian coal imports. Now, what's very weird about this uh, story is that every single news article that I read all refers to this as being alleged, even though Scott Morrison and a Chinese foreign minister, um, Mr Wang Wenbin, have both spoken openly about it. Mm. So I don't know how alleged it is, I would be pretty confident to say it looks like it's happening. Um, It was only a couple of weeks ago that the Chinese were shutting down our wine imports or taxing them hugely, but coal is an even bigger one for Australia. China bought $13.7 billion worth of coal in 2019 from us alone. Mm -hmm. Nick, I feel like I'm watching a bad breakup. Why is China not not buying our wine and now our coal? And is it the same thing as well? Started with our barley. And they, and it's it's weird because there's a lot of different angles to this. Obviously, China's really unhappy, first and foremost, because we're not big fans of their re-education camps. Then secondly, because we wanted to find out where the coronavirus came from, and they don't particularly want us delving into that. So they have slowly started to just chip away and chip away because they know financial, financially is where China has strength. Ch- mm-hmm. Essentially economically they can crush most other countries and they can certainly crush Australia. Like a prime example of this is the fact that the, uh, you know, the leader of China, Xi Jinping has not even commented on it. it it's such a blip on his radar, uh, Australia's interest in China that he does not give a fuck. Uh, and, but this is the big one for us because coal is obviously the thing that we've been clawing onto and it really drives a lot of Australia's produce. Uh, and, and it drives a lot of our economy, which is a bit scary in itself. I mean, ScoMo was taking coal into Parliament and exactly. kissing it. Yeah. <laughs> doing all this, look at this beautiful coal. And we well, thought onions coal, were weird. Where's your coal now, mate? It's not really working out for you, is it? It's going to be hard for China as well, because the weird thing is Australia, as, as odd as this sounds, Australia produces what we call the cleanest coal in the world. So we, we produce the coal that you can harness the best for energy in the world. So if they are using coal from other countries, it'll presumably be dirtier, which is therefore worse for the environment. That's, that's the whole crux of Australia's argument for being so reliant on fossil fuels is we keep saying we're doing the world a favour. We're helping out the world because we, we provide the best kind of cancer. That's essentially what they're saying. So it's, I mean... There's going to be pain and there's going to be ongoing pain. I think the scariest story regarding China in the past week is uh, the fact that they're putting a $200 million shipping port into uh, South Papua New Guinea, which is extremely close to the northern coastline of Australia. And and on top of that, most of the Chinese fishing vessels are actually subservient to the Chinese military. So technically, we, we could potentially be ending up with a giant Chinese military base just a couple of hundred uh, or a couple of thousand kilometres off the north coast of Queensland, which is, uh, I would say, a bigger act of aggression than just kicking our coal to the curb, which they're doing, which they're definitely banning, but they're just saying, oh, we're just choosing better coal from somewhere else. After mm. years and years of being reliant on your coal, we're just yeah. shopping it round. They're being incredibly vague about all yeah. of their actions. Um, so uh, when Bin, he went on, he said, uh, the Chinese authorities have recently taken measures against some imported Australian produce in accordance with laws and regulations. It is in line with Chinese laws and regulations and international practices, as well as a responsible act for Chinese domestic industries and consumers. 
So basically what he said, it sounds like, you know, when the Daily Mail doesn't have enough to put in the article yeah, and they just like pat it out. (laughs) He's gone to the thesaurus and just looked up different ways to say the same sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So they haven't actually pointed to which laws. I mean, if we've been selling them coal and wine and all these things for all of these years, I don't know where these laws have suddenly come from. Mm. And I also love it's the most China move in the world to be like, nah, no reason why. We'll That's go somewhere why. else. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. That's why. We don't have um, to tell you what we're doing, but China. <laughs> and they also haven't said that they are going to be doing this for any green purposes. They haven't said that they're going to be using less coal. They're going to keep on burning coal, but they're going to be doing it, as you said, from other places. Mm. Could this be the push in, uh, push in the right direction for the Australian green industries, though? That I finally. Would love it to be. I would love it to be, but it's going to come at a cost. That's the hard thing. It's all about the re-education of a workforce, and that's really challenging to do because essentially we've had all these fantastic mining jobs where people have been paid a lot of money. And it's it, ideally, it would be great for us to go to green power, but it's going to cost more money to do that, and it will be at the loss of jobs. And, and the argument behind doing that over a long-term period is that those jobs can then be eaten up in other industries. In Mm. theory, if we get greener, our country will be more beautiful and we can continue to market market ourselves as a tourist destination and those jobs will be able to be absorbed by the tourism industry. But if you walk up to a 45-year-old miner in Gladstone and tell him, no, it's fine, in 10 to 15 years, you're going to be able to have a job working on the reef in Ellie Beach, they're probably going to tell you to get fucked because jet skis don't pay for themselves. So that's where it gets really challenging. I, I think it's really, uh, I would love it to be that, man, but I'm not sure it will. I, I just, I, I, especially not with our current government, because our current government are obsessed with fossil fuels. I mean, what, if you say that you don't think that it's going to be that push, what could it be? Because otherwise we're just going to end up with a surplus of coal. And what are we going to do with that? You can't. Well, we can potentially sell it to sell other it countries. Just- at a discounted rate, potentially. And yep. that's not going to help us either. But, I mean, we've – this is the major problem with Australia's uh, – on a, on a macroeconomic level, this has been the biggest issue with Australia for the past 120 years, is that we have never vertically integrated anything we do. Even, uh, like, to the point where we ship live animals overseas to be killed – like, right. if you're looking at a business, wouldn't it be better if we made coal here and then used that to create power and then turn that power into machinery that we then built cars out of and then we sold cars to other countries? But we yeah. don't do that because we have been for so long so rich so in natural oil. resources. Like, yeah. in the from the 50s to the 70s, it was Australia was... Uh, the term was riding the sheep's back and we had all this incredible land uh, and we could harness all these animals and sell their meat and sell their different products. And that's what drove our economy. And then that quickly turned into fossil fuels, but we've never bothered even fucking taxing the organizations. We haven't even taxed these organizations and we're in the middle of letting Adani do it again to us through the mining industry. It, It would be way better. You know, Malcolm Turnbull had a fantastic idea to revolutionize Australia and make us a, a, a technological hub. And that was the point of the NBN. The only problem was the execution of it was so laid down in bureaucracy that it that we have worse internet than Nigeria. So <laughs> it's, it, I don't know whether it's a vote in our government, but I, I, I guess my bigger concern is that Australia is quickly becoming the Poland of World War II. We're quickly yeah. becoming, we're quickly becoming the, you know, 
countries, China would never attack America and Russia would never attack America and America would never attack China or Russia, but they'll have little skirmishes in Cuba or they'll have little skirmishes. And I'm really nervous that we're becoming the small country where a little skirmish starts. Like we are well and truly in the middle of a trade war. That is a reality of the situation. It's going to continue to escalate. So, you know, it's it's a little worrying. I wish our government, I, I know it's a really terrible thing to say, but I wish our government would back down a little bit, as weird as that sounds, because we're at the moment, we're the chihuahua biting at the heels of the Labrador. Well, this is a really interesting question that you bring up as well. You, you speak about these bigger superpowers and them kind of clashing and our relationship with those superpowers. I mean, we have, uh, we've historically always been very close to China. Right now, China's being a dick. Mm. America is basically a dumpster fire. <laughs> and the UK is currently scratching its heads trying to figure out Brexit, which they still haven't which rolled out. Which might not happen. <laughs> like, there's still a no so, deal on the table. All of these superpowers are really kind of, they're caught up with their pants down at the moment. Yeah. Could, could Australia be coming into an era where it doesn't actually have a superpower best friend that can help us out with this stuff? The best thing is, Tim, the best thing is uh, for a lot of rednecked bigots out there, we're going to have to eat a lot of humble pie because the power we're going to have to get behind is Indonesia which is a country of, uh, I think it's about 400 million. Yeah, 400 million Muslims, uh, which traditionally, Aust- we, we love going over there and crashing small motorbikes and getting on the piss oh, and yeah. pretending it's Australia. Oh, yeah. But we haven't been that appreciative of the Muslim culture in Australia as a whole. <laughs> so, it's, been, it's been a bumpy ride, yeah. you could say. It's been a fraught relationship. But, uh, but they are going to very quickly be- need to become a major ally because they are a buffer of several hundred million people that live between us and China. And they are smack bang in the South China seas. And it's going to be really important. America will traditionally America will always be. And and let's face it. America is screaming out for a war at the moment. That's exactly what that country needs because they're a bunch of fucking lunatics. And every time that they get the opportunity to have a war, it unites them all together. Like that, half well, and, the time well, and, they just go into wars financially. For them. That's what and I mean. Financially, yeah, because, because they can. I mean, they're hugely in debt with China at the moment, um, and uh, like all of their industries have been crippled. Their major industry being army mm. um, would be something that they could actually invest in. And what better so, way for Biden to win over all the Trump supporters than to throw them straight into a war with China? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll China does On have a bigger note, China does have a bigger navy now than um, than America, which is startling. That's it. That's the first time in the history of modern history of the world that that's been the case. So that's that's a, that's a, and and as I said earlier, all Chinese fishing vessels in China have gotten a massive hard on for fishing over the past fifteen years. All Chinese fishing vessels can be. Uh, acquired at a moment's notice by the Chinese Navy and used for whatever purposes they feel fit. So it's going to be, a, it's either going to be a wild 2021 or a great premise for mission impossible 18. <laughs> <laughs> One man, <laughs> 1.5 billion people. <laughs> the only guy short enough to blend in. The other weird, the other just, Last side note there is the other weird thing is China probably feel a little bit like they need to access power now because at the moment they're the biggest country in the world 
uh, on a population level. But that won't be the case in, in, in as, as little as 30 years' time because of the one-child policy that I've actually seen projected data where the 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 population of China is going to curtail and there's there's yeah. a there's a few giant African nations that are just skyrocketing and they'll actually end up with larger populous than or bigger populations than China. So really China faster than India? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will they will I believe I oh, do not quote me on this, but I believe it's Ethiopia. Ethiopia will end up uh being the most populated country in the world by 2050 or something like that because the one child policy is is, is crippling China. Well, we end on a great note. Um, I have a wonderful. <laughs> this is a great point to leave it on, <laughs> and, then we'll, and then we'll come back. We might we have be two here. Weeks. We might be in a World War Three. Either way, we'll be yelling from the bunker somewhere. <laughs> Nick picks. Okay, so I read a book that I thought was going to be inspiring and intelligent, and it uh, turned out was not at all. And when I say read, I listened to the audio book. I listened to Shoe Dog. The Phil Knight book, which is uh, the guy who founded Nike, who created Nike shoes. Um, and I picked up this book and I was or downloaded this book and I was like, this is, you know, it's going to be full of uh, incredible business savvy and, you know, marketing genius. And how did they create the swoosh and this, that and the other? It is literally the story of a rich daddy's boy growing up in, in like the 50s. Um, just getting given pretty much blank checks and uh, he thought it would be fun to make shoes and he just hired other people to um, to sell them for it. <laughs> he literally set up a fake shoe company um, and told a Japanese company that he wanted to sell their shoes, got his dad to write him a check um, for a bunch of shoes and then he didn't like doing it. So he let the company just kind of do it itself while he went and worked at like an H&R Block tax place. Um, and then the company just grew and grew. And then he was like, oh, cool. I've got a successful shoe company. Time to come back. So it was not as inspiring as I thought uh, uh, that it would be at all. It was it was a very clear look inside 1950s white guys, basically. The swoosh as well, from memory, the guy that designed the swoosh got paid like fuck all, didn't he? There was, it was a woman. Yeah. Oh, was it a, it woman? Was a woman? And she got paid yeah. like nothing. She, I think they paid her something like, um, like fifty bucks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She was just somebody who was like work, doing some design work on the side of the university that he was teaching at. But he was the worst. Like he literally, <laughs> he was teaching at a university. <laughs> he was teaching at a university. There was a hot girl in his class, mm. one of his students, and he gave her a job working at his shoe company. And then asked her out. Nice. And she and she had a boyfriend at the time, which she told him about, but then still said yes. Like you don't think maybe because he's your boss and your teacher. Oh, and if you say no, get, just because your look, life if is you're fucked. if you're rich and you want to buy someone's affection, go ahead. Look, Tim. She was just, underage. Very. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> she was <laughs> underage. He was like. Turn. He was like. She was too young to drink. But one of my favorite things was taking her out and getting her lick it up. Um, <laughs> and then and then he proposed to her by saying, "You know what? The university kind of looks down on these student-teacher relationships, so we should be." Uh, more than just dating and so she's like oh okay are we engaged and he's like yep now I'm off to Japan arrange the wedding for this day please <laughs> and he left and she just arranged the wedding when she had one of their children he told her to stay in hospital for a few extra days because there was a basketball game that he wanted to go to 
Oh, that's fair the guy, enough, isn't it? The guy that's... was a dick. And uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense because Nike is basically, basically a, a dick company. Still they, heavily involved know. in child labor. Uh, 100%. <laughs> but I say that having paid to read the book and currently wearing Nike shoes. So yeah, I was going to say, I own several pairs of Nike shoes as well. Ultimately, the story of Nike is just find Michael Jordan. That's the, that's the just story. Get Michael Jordan, get him some shoes. Yeah, get the next MJ, hope basketball explodes, whatever sport it'll be. Uh, but yeah. Hey, see my you in 2021. My phone, <laughs> my phone is going to die. Um, what's your Nick pick? Do you remember it? Nah, fuck it. Nick picks is just Tim's picks now with my name. I'm endorsing <laughs> your picks. That's, that's my change for the new year. Okay. We'll be back on the 6th is yes. the Wednesday, the yep. 6th of January. Why are you Have saying a wonderful... sixth? Why are you saying sixth? it weird? Yeah. 6th? 6th. We'll be back. We'll be back in two weeks. See you on the 6th. <laughs> See you in January. Bye. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities.